Well, good morning, church. My name's Rod. I'm the outreach pastor. And I am very excited. This morning, we're, we've, we've been in a series called Choices, where we've been walking through decisions that shape a soul, right? We're, we're spending a couple months in, in First and Second Samuel. This morning, we'll be in Second Samuel 7. So if you want to open your Bibles, get there. Uh, if, you, if you grab a pew Bible, it's por- page 498, we'll get you there. Um, but let, let's talk a little bit about this. We've been, we've been dealing with different choices, right? Maybe choices of how to hear from God or choices of the greed monster when we talked about envy and how that works. Choices in the wilderness. Uh, choices when we decide that we are the center of the universe. Choices of, man, I don't really know what to do, but this is kind of my best guess. But my question is this, what happens when choices get made for us? How do we respond to those choices? And I think we're going to see a great text this morning where David is responding to choices that are made for him. Uh, And I think we're going to see that, man, it it really kind of is very applicable to our own lives. Let me give you a great example. So I I don't hear from God all the time, but when I do, I remember it. And I remember the moment in time God said, you're going to be a pastor. And I remember I was looking around thinking that maybe he was supposed to be talking to somebody around me. I wasn't sure it was me. And so I remember I walked home and I told Diane, my wife, I said, honey, God just told me I'm going to be a pastor. And she started laughing hysterically. And she said, well, you're not a pastor, but I'll tell you, I am not a pastor's wife. So uh, maybe he was meant to talk to somebody else. And And we wrestled with that for a while. And then finally I decided, okay, this is what God's called me to do. This is what I'm going to do. So I went back to school, uh, spent a couple years getting schooling done, got licensed as a pastor in our denomination, and it was time to go to work. Started applying to jobs, started looking around. And the only thing God kept saying was no, not now, not yet. I was so frustrated. It's like, what, what, what do you mean No. You just told me I was going to be a pastor. And so I spent two years struggling through wanting to to be a pastor. Now, you may not know this about me, but let me give you a little uh, insight to me. I'm a get her done kind of guy. So I make a decision. I'm ready to go make that happen. And God had to kind of calm my spirit a little bit. I thank God today that I didn't have a job right away because I would have injured them and myself. It would not probably not have been a good mix. It took some years of God to really mature me. Um, and so finally, two years after that process, uh, I got a job and, and moved my family to Alaska. Now, you think I would have learned, OK, God's timing, not my own. Not so much. So we got there. And God said, you know what? This is the kind of church you're going to be, Rod. You're going to be a church that gets into the community. You're going to be a church that is very recovery-based. You know, these are all of the things that you're going to do. Um, And I looked around and said, how can I do that? I can't do that yet. So we had to grow. And so, you know, we tried starting Celebrate Recovery a couple times, and it never got off the ground. And, And I remember we got to this point where we had kind of grown enough to start a few ministries, but we weren't big enough to really make the impact that I felt like God was calling us to make. And I was on the phone with one of my mentors one day. I don't remember what I said, but I'm sure I was complaining or whining about something or other. Um, And he said, Rod, sounds to me like you just need to love the people that God has sent you and quit trying to make the church be something that you want it to be. Yeah, I was right. I I was like, well, you have no idea what you're talking about. And I hung up on him. (laughs) 
And I called him back and said, no, you're right. And I knew at that moment in time, God was speaking to me. And once again, God was saying, no, not now and not yet. But how do we deal with that? How do we deal when God says that? Think about it in our own lives. There are many people in this room today that have godly desires. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe you're single and you want a husband or a wife and you know, man, that's a godly desire, but God is is saying no, not now or not yet. What about children? I know so many people who struggle with infertility, right? It's a godly desire. We read in the Bible that... that, uh, Children are a blessing, and so uh, we read that and see that, but maybe God is telling you, no, not yet or not now, and we can struggle with those things. Could be a career. Maybe some of you are out of work and you're looking for a job, or maybe you're moving your family. Some of you may be heading into retirement, and you've had this plan of what you're going to do with your retirement or how you're going to live your life, and God says, well, I want you to do this ministry, or this has changed, or that has changed, and all of a sudden, you look around and go, wait a minute, God, what what do you mean? I had this all figured out. Many of you are like me who have prayed for family and friends to come to know Christ. I was the first one in my family who came to know Christ, and I've been praying for years. Man, this is a godly desire. I know God wants my family to come to him, but he keeps saying, not, it's, it's not my time. It's not your time, Rod. It's my time. And so slowly I've started to see some of my family come to Christ. Some of them will, some of them won't. But I surely pray and I struggle in when, when, when this happens. What's interesting this morning is we're going to read David. It's such, such a same kind of thing here where David's got this godly desire and then God has other plans. So let's look at that. We'll start in uh, 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 2. We're going to get through the whole chapter this morning, but obviously I don't have time to read every scripture. So we're going to kind of skip down uh, every few scriptures. But let's start out with 2 Samuel 7, 1 and 2. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace. Look at the ark of God is out there in a tent. That's a great desire of his heart, right? In fact, so here's what's going on in the history. Uh, If you're reading along in a Bible study, all of a sudden you go from this to another. uh, In chapter 8, there's another battle. Well, uh, it's, it's not in chronological order, these battles. And what was more important to the author was that there was a direct connection, which we heard last week and this week, between David and the Ark of the Covenant. That the author really wanted us to know that that's such an important piece, uh, that the art, what was going on with the Ark and where it was. But the, the, this assumes that the battles in chapters 8, 10, and 12 have already been done. So what you're seeing is this. There's peace in the land. At least for now, the Philistines have been defeated What does David do? He builds himself a big old mansion, right? He builds this huge palace. It gets done. He's living there. And all of a sudden he says, I'm living in this beautiful place, but God, the the temple for God is a tent. And you would say, man, that's a great godly desire. We know that towards the, you know, the later part of the story where the temple is going to be built. And so uh, I'm like, man, okay, so that's good. So what does David do next? Well, he does what we should probably do. We read in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice, right? So David thinks I've got this godly desire. Now I need to go find somebody to share that desire with. That's my hope for you in this room. 
that you would have people that when you think you hear from God and you're kind of struggling and like, did I hear from God or was that my burrito or, you know what? Like, I think that was God, I'm not sure. Our next step should be in community, right? And hopefully you're doing that in, in whether it's a community group or a Bible study. Maybe it's, it's Life Path or, or it's one of the other many groups, men's groups, women's groups that we have around here. Uh, my hope would be that you have people in your life like David had in his, and it was the prophet Nathan. It's the first time we're introduced to Nathan. I don't have time to go through their whole relationship, but you read in a later time that Nathan does not mind telling David the truth, right? In fact, David screws up in some mighty ways, and Nathan comes to him and points him out and says, no, it's you, and you need to get your stuff straight. And so Nathan was one of those people that I pray that we all have relationships with, people that would tell us the honest truth, and we can bounce things off. So he calls Nathan in, the prophet, And here's what Nathan says. Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you in 2 Samuel 7, 3, right? So, okay, godly desire, godly counsel says, sounds good to me. I think this is great. I think you heard from God. Go ahead and do it. And then all of a sudden, God has other plans. How many of you have been there with me when when you're starting to wrestle through things and you go to godly counsel and they say yes, and then God has other plans or God answers your prayers in different ways. You pray for this and God gives you this and you're like, no, no, God, didn't you hear me? I, I asked for this. Lou Holtz says it this way. I do know this. God does answer your prayers, but it's not always in the way that you expect. God knows what's best for us though. So there's no need to worry when things don't go how we originally wanted them to go. Another guy, Billy Graham, one of my favorite quotes of the day, the only time my prayers are never answered is on the golf course. (laughs) I'm with you, Billy. I pray all the time on golf course. Never seems to help it. It's, It's this idea of, man, this isn't what I asked for. I was praying for this, and I feel like, God, you gave me this great desire, so what do you want? And in fact, here's what happens. Nathan says, go ahead. I think what what you're doing is great. I think you've heard from God. And then God speaks to Nathan, and Nathan has to go tell David this. He says this in 2 Samuel 7, 11. God says, furthermore, the Lord declared that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, Saul, who I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me all time and your throne will be secured forever. God is playing word games with David here a little bit. It's the same root word. So basically David says, God, I'm gonna build you a house. God says, David, uh, no, you're not. I'm going to build you a house. And what he was saying was, David was saying, I'm going to build you a temple. And God was saying, I'm going to build you a dynasty. Now we go, man, of course, if, if God said that to me, I would respond well. Think about this. If this was, God, this was David's desire, more than anything, we read throughout that he's a man after God's own heart, that he just, he wanted to basically pastor the people of Israel more than anything. And God said, no, 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 I've got other plans for you. So think about if you your one desire and you said, God, this is what I want. And God said, don't worry, I'm going to give that to your great, 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 great grandkids. We might not respond so well. We might be like, wait, no, no, I, I wanted this. 
And so what God is saying is, listen, not only is your son going to build the temple, but out from you, there will be someone whose throne will never end. And we know today that that is Jesus Christ. And so he is saying out of this covenant with you will come the one that will bless the world and, and the throne will live forever. And it's Jesus. And so I, I love that. But, but I find myself in this area a lot where, where I would say this, our response to God really says a lot about our spiritual condition. I think our response to God shows a lot about our spiritual condition. Now, let me say this before we move on. I am not trying to answer with bumper sticker faith here, right? I'm not trying to give you kind of pat answers. Like, man, you know, some of you are struggling, but you just need to respond like this. Here's what I would say. Uh, We talked about it earlier. There are some things that people struggle in here that are godly desires. And when God says no, it breaks our heart. And I believe it's okay to be angry with God. I believe it's okay to be sad and mourn those things. I think that it is okay to walk through those. But the four responses we're going to talk about are these responses that if we get stuck in, can really set us back in our spiritual world. If we get stuck in the anger or the pity or all of these different responses, uh, I think it, it, it can destroy us in our relationship with Jesus. And so that's what I want to talk to. I just don't want, as we start to talk about this, is you to go, well, I had that response, but that's not okay. So I'm not okay to show emotion or do that. No, I, I think it's okay, especially when God says no. So the first response we have a lot of times when we're dealing with this stuff is the rebel. We respond like the rebel. The rebel is the one that just ignores God. In fact, you, you feel like, man, I got this thing I want to do. I talk to people, they say yes. And then you go, well, I'm just going to do it because maybe I'm afraid of what God will say or I don't want his input, right? You're like, oh, God, I got this. It's okay. And so we don't even respond. We don't listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus in, in John 14 and 16 has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus says this. I still have many things to say, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So in other words, Jesus says, listen, you're going to have the Holy Spirit that lives in you. It's going to be the counselor and the guide, right? It's going to show you the way of the truth and Uh, help you when when you're going wrong. But how many times do we just put the Holy Spirit on a shelf and go, man, I don't want to listen to that because I'm really afraid of how that response will be. In Alaska, I had a good friend of mine named Lee who was was one of my elders and uh, walked with me for years. And, And Lee used to do this kind of funny thing. So we would we would hear from God and then we would go into elder meetings and board meetings and we would make decisions and then I would get ready to leave that meeting and make things happen, right? I told you that's kind of me. I'm, I'm going to get things done. And Lee used to go, Rod, have you prayed about that? No. Maybe we should pray about that. Now, in Christian circles, that can be, we like to use that word. Have you prayed about it to really mean this? Uh, I don't want to do that for a month. I'm going to put that off. I'll pray about that can a lot of times mean, you know, we're not going to do that. But, but that wasn't Lee at all. I think what Lee's response, Lee taught me this. Our first posture should be prayer, not our last. Right? That idea that we should be praying first and asking input and listening to the Holy Spirit above everything else and then continue to do it. Lee was never about sitting back and not making things happen. He just wanted to make sure that our posture was there. 
But how many of us or how many of you are sitting in here today and you're being the rebel? How many of you have got things that you need to get done or doing and you know that maybe you don't want to hear what God has to say or you don't want to listen, so you're just going to make it happen on your own? The next one is the Charlie Brown. If you were raised on Charlie Brown, you know the the drill, right? Charlie Brown gets the ball put out in front of him and he goes to kick it and the ball disappears and nothing goes right for Charlie Brown. So it's always sad music and Charlie Brown's moping around walking like this through this day, right? He's always sad. It's kind of nothing will work out. Now, I'm not saying that God puts the ball in front and pulls it out. Please don't hear that. But I'm saying when we react like Charlie Brown, we can feel like that. This, this is kind of the God is not for me attitude, right? All of a sudden we go, man, I just don't think God's for me. I don't really understand this, but I, I don't see any solution. I don't know how anything good can come out of this. There's a scripture, uh, Romans 8, 28. If you're in, in the Charlie Brown response right now, you may look at this scripture and go, that doesn't even make sense. I don't see how that will ever work. It says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And those who are called according to his purpose. Right? So you go, there is no good. God's not for me. I don't get it. Now, so I was looking for a job for two years. I had somebody who showed up on my doorstep one day and said, hey, I'm going to plant a church in Arizona. Would you like to come along with me? You may not know this about me, but I love Arizona. I love Arizona. I love the weather. My in-laws live there. I could see myself living there. I wanted to go to Arizona. God sent me to Alaska. So at one point I told Diane, maybe we're supposed to go through the alphabet. Maybe it's Alaska, Arizona. Don't really want to go to Arkansas, but you know, we ended up in Oregon, so that's not it. But, but I mean, you think about it. it, For you, it may be someplace. I mean, this was a draw of my heart was not only a location, but then it was in 2006 and the boom was still happening. Um, And so people were flooding into Arizona. People were planting churches and they were these huge churches within a couple of years. I I say that to say on paper, you know, it all worked out. It looked like, oh, this is the perfect, everything should lay on. This should be just the perfect opportunity. Great career opportunity for you, Rod. So I jumped on an airplane and we flew down there. And we were meeting with those guys all day that were going to, the church that wanted to plant the church and all that. And I could not get a wink of sleep all weekend. God just kept saying, it's not for you. And I was like, are you kidding me? Certainly that can't be it. No sleep. Two nights, three nights in a row. I'm like, God, I know the plans I have for me. Right? You're not listening. Look at it. it looks so good on paper, God. I got this figured out. Don't. And he just kept saying, nope, not yet, not now. And so we flew home, and I walked in the door from the airport, and Diane, my second Holy Spirit, said, You're, that's not a bad comment. That's a good comment. She said, Rod, we're not supposed to go to Arizona. And I said, I know. <laughs> Jeez. And I moped around for weeks and weeks. I just was so upset. I was like, God, I don't understand. I don't feel like you're for me. I don't feel like these great opportunities that are coming are, are for me. And this should, this should be perfect. The gentleman I went down with decided to be the rebel. 
decided not to listen. Rod, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not going to listen to you. Packed up all his family, moved to Arizona. Within nine months, packed up all his family and came back to Seattle area. And I remember nine months later being able to say, thank you, Jesus, that you saved me from myself. Because if I would have uprooted all my kids and taken them out of school and small kids and packed and moved for nine months, uh, it might have just destroyed our family. And so I remember in that moment in time going, okay, so maybe there's something more to this thing than just what Rod wants. The next response is this. It's that of the, well, let me say this. Maybe there's some people for you, maybe you're here and you are the Charlie Brown. Are you? That would be a great question to ask. Am I just feeling like God is not for me? And am I, am I not looking up to see what, what more is out there? The next one is the child. Now, the child is, is not Charlie Brown. It's, it's the one step below Charlie Brown. That's not the God is not for me. It's the God is against me attitude, right? Where you start to get angry and embedded. And when God says no, you start to feel offended. Uh, and in fact, it's a great quote. An offended heart is the breeding ground of deception. We get to choose whether we, f- we are offended or not in many cases. And so when God says no, we can respond okay, or we can start to be offended by God and, and start to deceive ourselves and get angry uh, and get worse and worse and get into that. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever tried to reason with a two-year-old child when they're throwing a temper tantrum? <laughs> Honey, I know you can't have that cookie. You know, have you looked at the nutritional value of that thing? I know there's only one cookie left. You need to share with your brother, right? They throw a temper tantrum. Why? Because they are all that matters in their universe. That's it. They don't want to hear about other things. They don't. And and so the question is, how many of us throw those spiritual temper tantrums? Right? Steve talked a couple weeks ago about when we redraw the map of the universe and we put ourselves at the center. I mean, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about, right? I mean, it's kind of an attitude we can get. And so when we start to put ourselves in the center of the universe, all of a sudden we throw the, we get angry. I can't believe you're not for me, God. Uh, I was up in Alaska probably a year and a half. I had been doing ministry by myself for a long time. I was getting kind of lonely. We had just sold our building and we'd moved into to an old Catholic church. We were remodeling it. We had a little bit of money to hire a, a second pastor. So excited. So we had this guy who I kind of crossed paths with. His parents lived in Eagle River, the town we were at. And so he had flown up to see them and we met with him and uh, like a two-week interview process. Uh, we were getting to the point. I mean, we were hours away from offering him the job. And he was walked in and did to me what I did in Arizona and just said, Rod, I have no peace about this. I just, I can't take the job. And so I thanked him and said, awesome, good for you. I'm glad you heard from the spirit, said all the right things. And he left. And I stormed around that building for probably three days. I was so angry. I mean, I was like, God, what, what have you done to me? You, you've moved me to Alaska. I've done everything for you. And all I do is ask for this one thing. How dare you? I mean, I can't believe that you would treat me this way. Hello, right? You're starting to see, I'm starting to feel like I'm the center of my universe. Now, here's how I know God had other plans. Because two weeks later, we had another guy that we interviewed. He actually moved up there. He is now the senior pastor of that church. So tell me, God, God knew what he was doing the whole time. But I just respond in this 
angry way because I don't get my way and I'm a, like a little kid inside and it's just a spiritual temper tantrum. So how many of you are here today responding in those ways? You know, where you just can't see because you think you're the center of everything and the world revolves around you and you know, we want to move past that. Like I said, I don't think it's bad to be angry at God, but I think we certainly do not want to stay there. The last response is this, is the response of David. I call it the wise person or the wise one response. Here's how David responds. So David says, man, I want nothing more than to build your house. And God says, you're not going to build my house. In fact, I'm going to build a legacy for you, uh, but we're not going to do this. You know, plans are going to change. And David responds this way. 2 Samuel 7, 22. Oh, great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people, Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. What a great response of thanksgiving, humility, and gratitude. You see, last week, Steve talked about how David knew that there was a chasm between him and God, right? He knew how broken he was, and he knew how holy God was. This is another chasm, the same kind of thing, but I think this was the chasm of wisdom. David understood that his wisdom was not the end-all, be-all, and that God had, you know, his ways are not my ways. His thinking is not my thinking. He knew that there was a lot more to this story. And I thank God for that because let me tell you, if, if it were my way, if it were my thinking, I would say this, all we have to do is earn our way to heaven, right? We, we naturally as a people fall into this trap of legalism and rules and, and we want to make Christianity just about doing the right thing. If we could just do the right thing, it would be fine, right? If we would either do the right things or quit doing the wrong things, right? Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't get, date girls that do, right? That whole idea of like, just be a good boy and everything will be fine. Everything will be okay. If, if I could just be good enough, then that, that, that's the answer. In fact, I talk to a lot of people uh, along the way in my uh, job and otherwise, and I, and I like to say, well, wh- why do you think you're going to get to heaven? What is it? And most of them would say this nowadays. Well, Rod, at the end of the day, I just hope my good ways outweigh my bad days. I'm just hoping that I can be good enough for God. But the, the awesome thing is, is you can't be good enough for God. The beautiful thing is no matter how you try, you can't get there. What we have to understand is that Jesus came and died and took on our sin and put death to death so we could live with God. So think about this. If God is holy, in fact, the whole reason they had to build the temple and do all of that is, is God could, nothing unholy can be in the presence of God, right? So, so when you think about that, I go, you go, okay, I guess, and, and we know I'm broken, so, so I can't get there. Um, in fact, when Moses said, God, let me see you, Moses said this. He said, nope. In fact, I'm going to hide your face. I'm going to walk by, and I'm going to allow you to see where I have been. That is the closest you'll get to seeing me is where I just walked by. So we can't get there. But Jesus, because he died for us, we get there with him. 
You see, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess with our mouths uh, that God is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our unrighteousness. I love this. Isaiah 61.10, basically, Isaiah 61.10 says this, that Jesus wraps his robes of righteousness around us. So think about that. When, when we say yes to Jesus and we get to heaven, God doesn't see our broken sin. He sees Jesus because Jesus has wrapped his robes of righteousness around us. And all of a sudden, the thoughts that come up in Ephesians, if you read Ephesians, what you hear over and over again is we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. You see, so it's Christ's holiness that we rest on. We can be assured that no matter what we do, we can never get there. And here is the even more amazing thing. When we start to realize that, when we start to realize that even in my best days, no matter what I do, I am broken and I can't get there, it is a freeing thing. That's what I love about Christianity. No matter where you were born, what you've done, where you've been, what you've done for a job, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is Jesus. And so because of what he's done and because he loves us so much, we get to be with him forever in heaven. And when we understand that point, when we all of a sudden start to see the chasm between my thoughts of how it should be and God's thoughts of what really is, we get to start to respond in gratitude. Think about this. And I would say this for me. Jesus, if you came and died for me and that was the only thing you ever did, you never gave me any other good thing in my life, that would be enough. Now, I don't think that way all the time. And all of a sudden, I start to get entitled and and act like Charlie Brown and the child and the rebel. But the truth of the matter is when we start to understand the graciousness of God and how how gracious he is, that how he loves us no matter what, it changes our responses when God says, no, not yet, not now. We all of a sudden are able to respond like David with gratitude, humility, humility and love. If you'd bow your heads with me as we pray. God, thank you for your word. God, I would pray that, Lord, that we would hear you today. God, that we would see you working in our lives. Holy Spirit, I I just ask that as we are wrestling through decisions in our life, that you would, that you would be with us, Lord, that we would be able Uh, to respond in ways that are holy and good. God, uh, we just are so grateful that you came and that you died on the cross, Lord. That because it's it's not about us and that it is about you and your, your love for us that we're able to rest in that today. We are so grateful. It's in your name we pray. Amen.